Galambanian Gandanga Maranu. My name's David King. I'm a Gundangara traditional custodian. My mum was Auntie Mary King. She was born up here on Gadumba clan in a place that we call the gully, Katoomba, Gargaree. My granddad was Essie Cooper. He was a Baragarang man, a place that we call Warragamba. On behalf of my elders, past and present. Baringaling, past. Marinda, present. I'd like to welcome you on behalf of the traditional custodians. In our language, Yadangni, thank you. Hi there, my name is Ronnie Swintek, your host for the Blue Mountains Tourism Podcast. Welcome to today's show, which is jam-packed full of great guests that will give us some great insights into food, accommodation and relaxation. Yes, we all need a Zen moment in our lives, and Azara De Rosa from Akuna Retreats is going to tell us about her wellness retreat, the benefits of yoga, and how we can all learn to get a bit of bliss in our lives. Also on today's podcast, we will be joined by one of the new owners of the legendary Victoria and Albert Guesthouse in Mount Victoria. It's been recently luxuriously refurbished, and we'll talk to Shane McLucas on the process and what we can expect when we stay there. But first up on the show, we are joined by one of our regulars, Pam Seaborn from Played Up Blue Mountains. Pam, once again, has brought with her a very special guest, Colin Barker, from Megalong Restaurant on Lot 101 in the Megalong Valley. Across 600 hectares of native bushland and farmland, renowned chef Colin and his team grow sustainable fruit and vegetables, sheep, cattle, ducks and chicken. All of this is served at Megalong Restaurant and at the very popular Megalong Tea Rooms. Welcome to the show, Colin, and of course, Pam. Thank Good you. Good morning. Thank you for having us here. And welcome, Colin. Now, Colin, your name was familiar, but it wasn't until you walked in um, that it came to me that boathouse on Blackwattle Bay. A very big part of my life. It certainly is. I've been there many times, had some fabulous meals there. How did you end up in the Megalong Valley? So my business partner up there, um, he, he owns the property. Basically, we went up there for one of my wife's birthdays. We It was during COVID and basically restrictions. Yes. Couldn't have a big party. And then he said, up, oh, 1,000 acres, mega long valley, party's back on, no Lovely. restrictions. And uh, we wandered into this dilapidated old farmhouse and he said, what do you think? And I told him what I thought and I don't think it was what he really wanted to hear. <laughs> and he said, no, I, I want to turn it into a restaurant. We'll, uh, he said, not too much talk today, but we'll talk into the future. And three years on, here we are. Yeah. Well, we're all, I have to say, very excited about what's happening in the Megalong, what the enterprise you've undertaken. Um, so welcome to the Blue Mountains. You obviously had a great talent for it to, to show so much promise when you were young. And, uh, and so tell us your philosophy. What, what drives you? What's your passion about food? Oh, look, I was always pretty good on the tooth as a kid. I always <laughs> liked eating. Um, but the big thing for me is simple things done well. Um, we, I did a stint in um, the United Kingdom for a while. We lived in London and it was at the height of molecular gastronomy and um, not that I worked in a place that was particularly focused on gastronomy, but the whole industry was was buzzing about it. And um, we ate at a lot of amazing places. We ate at the Fat Duck and Eric Chaveau at the Capitol when, you know, the Fat Duck was number one in the world. And it was a great experience, but it never struck me. It, it still wouldn't rank in the top 10 meals that I've ever had in my life. And... Um, 
I was working at a two Michelin star restaurant in Notting Hill called the Ledbury and did a small stint after that in the the gastropub scene in the Cotswolds where um, the chef raised his own pigs and all the, we got a lot of wild game, um, roe deer, pheasants, teal, woodcock, hare, things like that just being delivered to the restaurant by locals and it it resonated with me. Yeah. So the, the big thing for me, my philosophy on food is is the simple things done well. I'm not the kind of chef that can get an email in the morning and someone says, you know, asparagus is great. It doesn't get the, the creative juices flowing. But when I walk, you know, when I had the boathouse, if I walked through and I kicked a box physically on the market floor and, you know, it got things going or and now I've got the ability to go through the dry aging room at the restaurant and see a particular cut or walk through the garden and, and see the upcoming crops. That's what gets me going. And it's it's very spontaneous the way that I work with food. And and clearly you're into, which Plate Up loves as well, seasonal, fresh, local. You know, that is the core, isn't it, really? Well, that's what we're all about. You know, yeah. Mother Nature dictates um, the menu and it's just driven by what's good at the time. I'm not interested in using the parsnips if they're not ready. Mm-hmm. Give them another week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's how we're working with it. And you've also got the tea rooms and so you're supplying the tea rooms as well? Yes. Yeah. So the tea rooms, they're using all our meat down there. They're using all our veg. And in addition to that, we've got a an offering of veg for sale uh, down there every day of the week. And um, then we have a big market every Saturday, which is really starting to get some uh, momentum. Do you have other restaurants coming in buying your fresh produce? At the moment, we've got so much on that we're actually moving um, a good van load of stuff back to um, restaurants in Sydney at the moment. Um, We're dealing with uh, Sydney Direct Fresh, who send a truck up once a week, and then they take it back to the markets, and they actually sell it on their end as Lot 101 farm produce, which is fantastic. That is awesome. You know, some of the better restaurants around Sydney are... Fire door, icebergs, those sort of guys, Bathers Pavilion. Our veg is gracing the menu. Oh, That's great. Awesome. So tell us what you've actually got on the farm. I understand you've got some fruit trees, olive trees, and, and cattle and lamb. We've got probably about oh, six acres of vegetable production. Um, we are using organic practices, but we're not certified organic. No. Uh, we've got about an acre and a half, two acres of berry production. Uh, we've got a 90 fruit tree orchard, which is in its infancy. It'll probably be a couple of years before we get something really substantial off it. Uh, we planted 130 olive trees about two years ago, so we shouldn't be far away from uh, getting a harvest out of those guys. That's 30% table olives and 70% uh, olive oil production. Fabulous. Wow. Uh, we've got 100-odd sheep. 50 of those were born on the block last year, and we've just put the ram uh, back in with the girls for lambing in August, September this year. And then we've got mixed breed cattle on top of that. So we've got uh, some Hereford, 10 full blood Wagyu steers at the moment, and we've got uh, eight Speckle Park, which is um, there from a local guy, Chris Partington. And they've proven to be like my, we we did a few uh, late last year. And they eat incredibly well. So I think that'll be a a breed that we stick with into the future. Now, the dining experience at Megalong Restaurant, Mm -hmm. um, it's very, it's, you're you're doing several courses, like it's not just three courses, it's, I think, six courses or something like that. Yeah, it depends on the day, how we're feeling, but it's a minimum of five. And then, um, you know, we might throw a few extra courses in there. We've got the, uh, we do offer like a supplement course as well, if people want to, you know, add another course, say like a big dry aged steak to share between the table or, or something like that. And um, and you're encouraging only one seating. So people are there for the whole, either the whole lunch, 
the whole afternoon or the whole evening. Yeah, that's it. And uh, you're encouraging them to wander around the gardens. and That's a lovely idea. I love that idea. The idea is basically drink on arrival, wander around the courtyard. If you're in there in the afternoon, grab a bit of that last light, go and see the escarpment. Mm. Come back in, get into your dinner, basically have your main course, into the gardens, into the berry blocks, go and see the cattle, go out to the fire pit outside, just enjoy and then come back in relaxed, have another glass, have your dessert, Wow! take your time. Importantly, because being in the Megalong Valley, getting in and out, um, you know, when you've had a few drinks, mm-hmm. um, you have accommodation. We do, we do. We've, uh, we've picked up Werryberry Cabins, which was an existing business across the road from the tea rooms. Um, we've got six cabins over there, um, cosy little cottages. And um, over the next 12 to 18 months, we'll have 10 beautiful high-end cabins to, to go alongside with the mm. restaurant. That's awesome. What are you, you've obviously been spending a bit of time in the mountains over the last few years as you've got Just this a little bit. Yep. going. What is your opinion of dining in the Blue Mountains? Do you think we've got a good selection? Uh, do you think we've got some quality restaurants? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it, the last two years in particular, it's really been on the move. You know, uh-huh. there's some great yeah. stuff popping up. And not only just sort of like restaurants and dining, but, you know, the, the delis and the, the shops, the purveyors, things like that. There's a great selection of stuff. So I think when people are out dining now, they're much more aware of food. There's been so many cooking shows and food has become so prominent even for the home cook. And now this this thing of of being more aware of our food. Do you think it will continue, you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Like it, it was a big thing when I was in Sydney at the Boathouse and we were one of the first restaurants that actually, you know, Sydney Rock Oyster wasn't just a Sydney Rock Oyster. We stated where they were from, mm-hmm. what particular estuary it was, um, where the fish was caught, you know, even down to some of the fishermen. So getting back to that, like it's people are eating a lot more responsibly nowadays um, and provenance is a massive, massive thing. Um the other thing too with eating seasonally, and it's one of the benefits we've got at the restaurant, is intensity of flavour. Yes. And one of the things when people first arrive, we just do a platter of baby vegetables on ice and literally we've just scrubbed them. You know, the boys in the garden have done all the work and people eat it and they're blown away. And it's that lack of cold transport, cold storage, and that's the benefit of eating seasonally. Do you know, um, I mean, I, I shudder to mention my little veggie patch in comparison to what you've got. But, and people say to me, why do you bother? You know, but the flavour, like you take a tomato even out of your home little veggie patch Mm. and suddenly you're tasting tomato. Yes. Like, or a lettuce. I had a little bit of a moment with that. We're we're kind of spoilt on the farm um, because we are growing so much, but our orchard's only in its infancy, so it's going to be a long time before we get anything. But we've been very lucky. A lot of locals have come out of the woodwork mm. and said, oh, we've got this. And there's a gentleman that lives down the end of the valley, John Allen, and he's got an orchard that he planted about 30 years ago, and he's given us access to it. And I went up there with my kids uh, late summer, and we picked plums, and we ended up with about 80 kilos of plums off one particular tree. <laughs> And my kids were eating them hand over fist mm. and they were hot from the sun. And I actually thought about it and I thought, you know, people just don't experience this no. anymore. They don't experience a piece of fruit that's actually ripened on a tree mm. and the intensity of flavour and it's just at its peak. It was just bursting. So, yeah, that was a, it was a real sort of moment for me recently. And also for your kids. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, they, for them to experience Oh, that. they went home covered in plum juice yeah, and uh, they were very happy. Yeah, well, that's right. So what does the future hold for Chef Colin Barker? I mean, obviously you've got your hands full at the moment. There's a little bit going on. Um, <laughs> do you, is it too soon to talk about other projects or, you know, what is your dream for down in the Megalong? Oh, I suppose my dream is the Megalong. Yeah. So I'm, I'm partway there. Um, the, the big thing for me is just... We, there's a lot going on down there. We've got yeah. the, the wholesale side of things. We've got the cattle production. We've got the accommodations, the cafe, the secondary accommodations. It's just, for me now, is we're, we're only a couple of weeks in, so, you know, it's, it's, it's still not perfect. So it's just working on that perfection and it's putting the valley on the map and the big thing for me is the, is the customer experience and just doesn't matter what, whether, what venue it is, just, you know, we want people to, to leave and just go, wow. Fabulous. So future-wise, oh, no more restaurants, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're living the dream already, Colin. Well, it certainly does. I'm a very and lucky guy. Yeah, and we wish you all the very best, obviously. We hope it's a huge, huge success. Pam Seaborn <laughs> from Plate Up Blue Mountains, thank you so much for bringing this wonderful guest in today, Colin Barker from Lot 101. Thank you for your time, Colin. You're most welcome. Thank you. Azari De Rosa is the founder of Radiant Retreats and teaches yoga, sound journeys, women's circles and ecstatic dance events. She operates Akuna Wellness Retreats with her partner Zane in the Blue Mountains. Azari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Akuna Retreats sounds very calm, very blissful. But it wasn't always like that for you, was it? No, definitely not. Um, and th- and that's why I'm so passionate about creating calm and blissful experiences for people. Give us your story. Yeah, so I found yoga about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And even before I found yoga, I, I was kind of at a crossroad in my life. I'd just come back from Berlin. I'd just left a really toxic relationship. I felt really depressed. I was filled with lots of anxiety and fear and worry. And um, yeah, I was just lost in a bit of a mess. And I felt like I was at a crossroad. It could keep going down that path or do something else, you know, and I felt something in me knew there had to be more to life. (laughs) So I began to search and I read like a lot of self-help books, a lot of spirituality books. And um, yeah, and then I found yoga. I found an amazing yoga studio in Newtown. Mm -hmm. I did one class and I was totally hooked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, and I, I practiced like every week and I continued my practice and then I became a teacher and um, yeah, it helped me to heal. It helped me to bring myself into the moment and to let go of a lot of the fear and anxiety and stress that I was carrying. These are some of the benefits of doing yoga. Yeah, absolutely. How does it work? So yoga incorporates a few different things, one of them being moving the body. Mm Mm-hmm. Another um, important element is breathing. So we use different breath practices. So that might be like a long, deep breath or um, like short, sharp, powerful breath. And those different practices influence our physical body and allows uh, the energy within our body to return to its natural state of flow. And when we're moving our body, something really awesome happens in our brains mm-hmm. and we get like this really yummy cocktail 
of like dopamine, serotonin, neuropinephrine gets released in our brains and they're the like happy, feel good hormones. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so how did you get to the Blue Mountains? It's a pretty recent thing, actually. I think I moved up here maybe two or three weeks ago. Wow. I know. You're I'm, a, I'm a baby Blue Mountains person. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be here. I feel like the community has welcomed me with open arms and it's so vibrant and there's so much creativity and richness here. Well, with the Blue Mountains and its location, I mean, we know it's beautiful. How important is it for emotional health and healing? It's fascinating that you mentioned that because yesterday I was um, at the cultural centre and I was reading about some of the history here and it said that they used to bring like tuberculosis patients up here Mm -hmm. because the air is so clear and fresh. Yes. And um, I thought, wow, that's really fascinating. It's like the freshness of the air and this sense of healing. I mean, that's what I do with my work. And I feel like Akuna Retreats is such a nice compliment for people who want to come and experience the Blue Mountains or who already live here because, you know, sometimes it's difficult to drop out of our heads and the busyness of your week and just like fully allow yourself to relax. But these tools, these kind of pillars of wellness that I like to work with, movement, breath, sound and connection, all help us to really do that. And this is what we'd find at Akuna Retreats? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you have many creative skills. You are a visual artist, yoga teacher, you're a sound healer, but one I don't quite understand is what on earth is an ecstatic dance? Oh, ecstatic dance. It's one of my favourite, favourite things. Okay, explain it to me. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's freeform movement. Just listening to music, moving your body. Yeah, you just close your eyes, feel the music and really listen into your body and how you want to move or how your body feels like it wants to express itself. Uh And it's a really great way of Again, getting the energy within our bodies to return to its natural state of flow. Many years ago, when I was doing yoga, the yoga teacher brought in bowls and she was playing the bowls. Beautiful. It was quite an incredible experience for myself because as she was playing the bowls, I started to cry. Mm. And then I started really crying. And then I was like blubbering crying. And it was something so unexpected that happened that I was almost in shock that it Mm -hmm. happened afterwards. And the teacher said to me, asked me after the lesson, are you okay? And I said, yeah. I said, but I'm emotionally exhausted now. Mm -hmm. Is that a common occurrence? Yeah, it does happen. Um, My partner and I kind of joke when we do sound journeys that our ultimate our other name could be the tearjerkers <laughs> because emotional release is definitely something that happens during the experience and it can it can be like a sadness or it can be a whole spectrum of emotion so you can have like beautiful joy and happiness sometimes anger can come up and frustration and um yeah i say that it comes it arises to be felt, to be freed. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of hold on to those emotions and this is a safe space for you to express those. Yeah. Wonderful. So where where do we find Akuna Retreats? So you can find Akuna Retreats online, akunaretreats.com. 
Um, I've got all of our wellness packages on there. And then you can also find us online on Instagram at Akuna Retreats. Awesome. Yeah. Now, I've been told by our producer that uh, we're going to embark on a sound journey. We are. But should, should I be nervous about this? <laughs> no, not at all. Just a little taster. Just okay. a little taste test, yeah. Well, but, of course, if you if you feel those emotions come up, if you feel like you want to have a cry, go for it. Okay. But um, we won't be going, we probably won't be going that deep okay. <laughs> today in the studio. Well, please take me on the sound journey. Okay, all right. Well, let's just come to sit in a comfortable position and just bringing your awareness to your breath. Let's take a deep belly inhale and let it out with a sigh. (sighs) And another deep breath in and exhale. And now you just keep those beautiful deep breaths going, allowing your body to relax and breathe. I've got to say, I am feeling quite blissful now. <laughs> Beautiful. Tell me about the the instruments you just played. I would love to tell you about these instruments. So the first one I played is a rain stick. I was going to say, it sounded like rain. Rain, yeah. Yes. I feel like it's um, such a great sound. It feels like it's just like washing over you. Mm. And um, 
a great cleanse, yes. great cleansing sound. And then next I played the flute. So this is a... But nut- it's no ordinary flute. No, I wish I could um, take a picture and show you guys who are listening. Um, this style of flute is a Navajo flute. Mm-hmm. It's made by a friend, Francis, who lives in Canada. Um, and it's made of white and red cedar, Canadian cedar. And it's an F sharp, so... It, connects with the heart chakra. It's beautiful looking. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. And the fairy bells at the end, is that their technical name? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Also known as the Koshi chimes. Um, Yeah, I feel like I sprinkle kind of fairy dust when I'm using those ones. So Azari, Akuna Wellness Retreats, is it a place I go to? How does it work? Well, I bring the yoga studio to you. Wow, I love it. (laughs) So if you are visiting the mountains, you've got your weekend getaway or something, um, you don't have to go anywhere. Um, I bring the yoga mats, I bring the um, instruments, and I teach the class there wherever you are and do the sound journey there as well. So you could also do it in your home Mm -hmm. or even a workplace. Yeah. Wonderful. And if I'm a local, you'll come to my home as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. If you want to know all the details for Akuna Retreats, you'll be able to find them in the show notes of the podcast. And thank you for bringing your little sparkle into the podcast thank today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You're very yeah. welcome. Shane McLucas owns the Victoria and Albert Guest House at Mount Victoria with partner Michael. The well-known property is a blend of history and contemporary luxury in the heart of the village at the top of the Blue Mountains. Welcome, Shane, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Now, you only just recently bought the Victoria and Albert Guest House. Tell me how you came to own it. Why don't we start with background? Yes. Um, So background is fashion. So ran fashion companies, worked with some of the bigger labels, uh, had a a lingerie company, had a sportwear label, had a daywear label. Wow. Um, But my background is actually business coaching. Okay. Yeah. So that's a big leap from fashion to business coaching to now a guest house owner. Exactly. I'm... I think I'm a frustrated designer. Okay. Um, so the opportunity of buying a big old beautiful property and being able to put your mark on it mm-hmm. kind of tempted me. Did I know it was going to be that much work? No, but I'm enjoying it. That's great. Now, um, how did you get to find out about the Victorian Albert Guest House? What's the story there? Yeah, there's a little bit of, um, um, I think, meant to be, uh, driving by, seeing it, ringing up, it was for sale, uh, calling and saying it had already sold. Saw it three weeks later, back online, rang. I was told to get in there really quickly. They had a couple of people that were interested in it. Um, Saw it the next day, said, yes, I want it. Went home, thought, do I really want to buy it? Yeah. And you um, get those jitters like, what am I doing? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Am I insane? Totally. I wanted a farm, not a hotel. But anyway, (laughs) I chatted my partner and we thought, yeah, we'd love to do it. So we bought it and six weeks later, we owned the property. Now, I'm I'm guessing refurbishing a heritage building um, isn't like doing up a a modern one. There's going to be rules and regulations. Yeah, totally. Um, Walk me through the process. What were some of the challenges you had? Yeah, I think um, you go into a building like that with an idea prior to, 
you know, when you're settling. Mm -hmm. I think the smartest thing we could we did was actually not do anything. So just sit back, get locals in. We had the council come in. We had a few different people come in. And we spoke about the design and how we'd, how we'd like to renovate it. And um, it slightly changed from the original view, which is great. It's, we wanted, uh, we're doing more of a hotel look. We've now gone for more of a homely look, mm-hmm. um, but with an edge. Did you, have you made some fascinating discoveries during the, the renovations? Nothing uh, from an interior perspective, but some history. Tell us. I had the Historic Society um, uh, do a, I think they did a 12-page document on the property. And it was just interesting seeing all the facts and who lived there, who owned it. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah. Um, uh, one of the first women in the mountains to own a block of land in 1868. Wow. She developed it and then um, and then leased it out as a to a hoteler, hotelier, um, which Quite was Quite the great. revolutionist back in those days. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John F. Kennedy staying there, so there's what? been a back and forward of has he stayed there, did he stay there, and uh, we found some proof that he was in the Blue Mountains, he was in Australia, and um, that he did stay at the property. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Was it with Jackie O? No, it was well before that. I think it was <laughs> 1943. Or okay, yeah, so, so he was time. just a young man then. Yeah, yeah. Now, the bold colours you've chosen inside the hotel are outstanding, but you can't be shy with peacock motifs on wallpaper. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, describe the style and decor and, and why you chose it. The property being a heritage property, I thought it was really important to really bring out the the age and the essence of the property. So there's a lot of antique furniture, a lot of Australian antique furniture, um, bold colours, um, Part of the brief, um, I don't know, have you, have you heard of Baz Luhrmann, the of director? Yes. So I love his work. Mm-hmm. So I think everything should be theatrical. So the design of the property is you walk in and you're amazed and you look around and, and um, um, you know, every corner tells a story. Wow. Um, so really, first point of reference was Catherine Martin, his wife. I love her work. Her work is from, you know, 1901 to about 1950 from a style point of view. Yeah, absolutely. So we used a lot of her fabrics and wallpaper and then just played with colours. Mm-hmm. This is your um, frustrated designer coming out. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mount Victoria is such a, a charming village. What, what do you love about it? I think the charm. It's a historic town. Um, it's fairly unique. I think almost quirky. You know, we've got a couple of guest houses. We've got antique dealers. We've got a little tea house. Uh, we've just opened up a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a taxidermy up the road. We've got uh, Vic and Me, which is all that um, yes. beautiful printed fabrics and so on. So I think the whole town is a quirkiness that you won't get anywhere else. That's true. And Mount Vic Flicks as well. Oh, and the Flicks. I love the Flicks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they do some amazing best things. Best Lamingtons, there. best soup, um, <laughs> great pictures. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I like what they do with like having a whole Harry Potter weekend or something like that, which is which is great. What do you like to do when you're up in Mount Victoria? Typically in Mount Victoria, I'm working at the hotel, mm-hmm. um, but the walks are beautiful. We do Sunset Rock. We do a couple of the um, the walks around around the um, the waterfalls and so on. But just generally, I we typically go for a walk every morning around the neighbourhood. And we love it. It's just a beautiful neighbourhood, lots of birds. Um, it's just got a, a, a fresh air that we don't get in Sydney. Oh, 100%. If I'm going to go and stay at the guest house, what sort of experience am I going to have? Well, 
hopefully a great one. <laughs> of course. Um, but that overall, goes without saying. Yeah, one of the things that we strive is that when you walk into the property, you feel like a really lovely warm hug. It's almost like you're visiting your grandmother's house, mm-hmm. but it's got an edge to it. It's quirky. Um, customer service and the food has to be perfect. Um, you know, we're, we're slightly doing some of the rooms up, but all the public areas have been done. Um, so... I want it to be a place of interest and where community can come and run events and hold different, you know, parties and birthdays and so on, but Uh also for the community to use it as a base for Mount Victoria. And you have a dining experience there? We do. We've got a restaurant, uh, which um, we're very, uh, very lucky to have a great chef who really concentrates on um, country cooking, beautiful sauces Mm -hmm. and all local produce. Oh, that's fantastic. Shane McLucas, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. You have been listening to Visit the Blue Mountains, a podcast produced by Blue Mountains Tourism. This episode was produced by Ellen Hill. Episode editor was David Post, recorded at KFM Media Studios. Music was composed by Rusty Pedal Music. The Welcome to Country was delivered by David King. And I'm Ronnie Swintek. And thanks for joining us. This podcast is made possible by $2.6 million from the Bushfire Local Economic Recovery Fund, co-funded by the Australian Government and New South Wales Government. With the grant, Blue Mountains Tourism, as the leading tourism authority in the region, will administer and manage the Blue Mountains Visitor Economy Revitalisation Project, a two-year destination management program that will reinstate the Blue Mountains as a key tourist destination in New South Wales and Australia.